continuing our series this morning called The Gospel According to Pixar. And so perhaps if you're new, you may be wondering, why are we doing a series on, on Pixar? Well, it's our goal here at Rooftop to help you follow Christ in the world. And the Bible says that we should be in the world, but not of the world. And one of the things that the world likes to do is make and watch movies. And some of them are really good and have a lot of important ideas that we think that we should talk about together. And so for the past 25 years, Pixar has made some of our favorite movies. And and these movies aren't necessarily Christian movies, but they have a lot of great biblical themes and messages within them. And so the Apostle Paul tells us uh, that that, that what we should do as followers of Jesus, that if there's anything true, noble, pure, right, lovely, excellent, or admirable, that we should focus upon these things. So that's exactly what we're doing through this series. We're going to focus on those things, um, and we're going to have some fun doing it. Amen? And so this movie, we are diving, or this morning, we are diving into the, the movie Coco, which is one of my, my favorite Pixar movies. And so Coco tells the story of Miguel Rivera. Uh, he's an aspiring um, musician, and he was born into a, family's, a family of shoemakers. And so years before he was born, his great-great-grandfather abandoned his wife and daughter. And his daughter would go on to be Miguel's grandma, Coco, whom the movie is named after. And so he abandoned his, his family for a career in music and, and songwriting. And so the, the, the family, because of this, they outlaw music in their home, but that doesn't stop Miguel from learning how to play the guitar in secret. And so the setting of the movie is a town in Mexico on Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. And so Miguel's family has devoted an entire room to a shrine um, called an ofrenda or an offering. And so the families devoted this ofrenda, this home altar, with photos of departed family members and other objects placed in a ritual display, all in preparation for a visitation from their ancestors. So as evening approaches, Miguel sneaks away to play in the community uh, talent show. And so in need of an instrument, um, he breaks into a mausoleum of, of the famed musician, Uh, Ernesto de la Cruz, right? We saw it from the clip. Um, And then as he takes the guitar, he strums his chord in victory. And then immediately something happens, which we later find out is he has been transported to the realm of the dead, where he meets some of his deceased family members. And so he meets them and they whisk him away, trying to get him back to the land of the living. And alongside, they meet another guy named Hector. And so their decisions then set in motion Miguel's frenzied search to find um, his great-great-grandfather, Ernesto de la Cruz, who had abandoned his family uh, many years before that. And it also follows Hector's desperate journey to get his photo up on an ofrenda in the land of the living so that he will be remembered and he won't fade away. So this movie is is full of of lots of themes that we could dive into this morning, such as life and death, the afterlife, family roles, selfishness, ambition, um, and remembrance. And so this morning, we're actually going to talk about a few of these things together. Uh, Specifically, though, remembrance. And so as I mentioned earlier, the setting of the movie is Day of the Dead. And so on November 1st and 2nd, families in Mexico welcome the spirits 
of their ancestors. Um, they think back to the kingdom of the living. So families build these altars, these ofrendas with photographs and, and food for their deceased loved ones. They do this to remember them, to honor them, but also they believe that their deceased loved ones, if they set their photo up, will then come back and, and, uh, and eat the food um, and be able to see that their family still is remembering. They think the lines between the land of the living and the land of the dead then become blurred on this night. So if their memory lives on in this life, they live on So remembrance and loss are central to the plot of this movie. In this movie, I want to quickly summarize this. In the movie, those who have died and they currently live in the realm of the dead, they depend upon those living family members to maintain their memory. So if nobody in this life remembers them, if they're forgotten by the living, they dissolve and they drift away and they're forgotten forever. The belief is that you are not truly gone until your memory uh, has completely faded in the land of the living. So once nobody alive remembers you, that is when you face, the movie says, the second death. You fade away into oblivion and you cease to exist, all right? So this is a a photo of my, my grandma. Isn't she beautiful? Grandma Isabel Fuentes Macias. So I was four years old, four years old. When my, my grandma died, I have very few memories of her. I do remember, though, as, as, as a little boy, uh, my sister, who was only like a year older than me, she would wake me up in the middle of the night, and then she would take me downstairs as her accomplice. We would sneak into, into grandma's room, and my grandma would give us candy while we were supposed to be sleeping. Um, and then my mom, my mom's watching, hi, mom, and then she would catch us, and then we'd get in trouble, and she'd have to take us back back to bed. So I've got these memories of my grandma, but as I get older, I remember her less and less. And sadly, I know that pretty soon, not too long from now, the memories that I do have of her, those will be gone too. So what about you? I mean, we all have relatives that have passed on and many of you are are losing their memory right now as we speak. And and us, eventually, we're going to grow old and die, all of us. And our lives here on earth will be forgotten. It's really dark, but it's, it's the fact of it. Time will pass too once we are gone. And then one day we too will be fuzzy memories in the minds of our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. So does that mean that once I stop remembering my grandma completely, that she's just going to fade away and disappear in the afterlife? Is she, is she in the land of the dead right now, slowly disappearing as people in the land of the living forget about her? Is your loved one like, like Hector, trying desperately to get their photo up on your wall so that you don't forget about them and they don't cease to exist and fade into oblivion? Are we too one day going to be in this desperate search to be remembered by those in the land of the living until we just disappear, lost forever as well? Well, that would be extremely depressing. So fortunately, that is not what happens. Our hope as followers of Jesus isn't in those in the land of the living to remember us. The hope that we have after death is not being welcomed back to the kingdom of the living, right? Our hope is living forever in the kingdom of the living one who is alive forever and holds the keys to death and Hades. 
So Coco, don't get me wrong, all right? Absolutely has some theological flaws. But I will say, you should not be consulting Pixar for your theological questions. So let me just go ahead and get that out there, all right? They did not make this movie to answer your questions about what happens after you die. So this theology was created in a boardroom somewhere. I can assure you of that. But our hope in this series is to be able to focus on the things in this movie that bear God's image. The things that are good, noble, pure, right, lovely, excellent, and admirable, as Paul says. Such as remembrance. We all want to be remembered, right? We are all like Hector. We're all like him. We don't want to be forgotten by our families, right? I don't want to be forgotten by the world. We don't want to be forgotten by the world. We want our memories to live on. When I was younger, one of my goals in life was to do something so amazing and so influential (laughs) that I would have a statue made of me, right? I wanted to do preferably multiple of these just all over the world. I wanted to do something so incredible. Why? Because I don't want to be forgotten, I don't want to be a fuzzy memory fading away in my grandchild's mind one day. I want to be remembered. Maybe you can relate to that. We don't want to be forgotten. And so Coco's view of of, of remembrance is not totally false. It's just incomplete. Remembrance, though, is a biblical concept. God tells us that he will never forget about you, even if people in this life forget you, even if you become a fuzzy memory in this life, God will not forget about you. Now, this is good news, and this is also bad news for some of you. And so you will see why. So let's get to the Bible. Some of you are wondering, is he ever going to read the Bible today? Yes, I am. Turn with me to the Italian prophet Malachi. It's the last book before you get to the New Testament. We're going to go to Malachi 3. We're going to start reading at verse 16. If you've got a Bible, go and open it up. If not, we've got the words up on the screen for you. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction, there's a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who who serve God and the one who does not serve God. So for context, the book of Malachi is a detailed account from the Lord to the people of Israel because of their acts of disobedience in this life, right? It's a lot like Isaiah in that way. And he, he charges them with a number of sins. Because of the way they lived in the land of the living, God pronounces strict judgment or will pronounce strict judgment upon them when they are in the land of the dead. He then makes it clear that he hears and knows the intent of every heart of those who seek and desire to honor him and those who do not. 
And several places in Scripture talk of God's book. It's in Exodus, it's in Psalm, it's in Daniel, it's in Revelation. And in his infinite knowledge, you may be wondering, why does God need a book to remember? He doesn't, but in his infinite knowledge, God does not need a written record to keep track of our deeds here on earth. However, when he speaks to us, he often uses metaphor or parables to help us understand, right? God's so big and mighty and great that he actually condescends to us and uses language that we know and understand. So as Malachi presented God's word to the people, they would have immediately understood what a book of remembrance represented. I'll tell you guys, so we can all be on the same page here. The kings of Persia oftentimes kept books and records like this, not just in Persia, but in other places. They kept books and records, and they wrote down those who rendered services to the king so that those servants might one day be rewarded. So if someone was loyal to the king, loved the king, desired to serve the king, and they did an act of service towards the king or or what have you, their name would be written in the king's book of remembrance, right? So then later on, they would be rewarded. So it's important to note, though, that the reward, reward was often delayed. It didn't come immediately. That's why the books were needed, so that no worthy deed for the king went unrewarded. Are we all tracking? So scripture is clear that loyalty to God in this life does not go unnoticed or unrewarded in the next. Jesus spoke of this concept many times. He talked about storing up treasures, right, in heaven, like making deposits into a heavenly bank account. The implication is that what is done on earth is forever recorded in heaven. The book of remembrance is simply a concept that God uses to encourage us that what we do in this life and who we follow in this life absolutely matters. It has eternal consequences. It is his promise that when his judgment does come, and it will, church, that he will know his own and he will preserve them. So in Luke's gospel, Jesus actually encouraged his followers. He says this, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So even as he said this, he knew because of their faithfulness to him, they would suffer in this life, they would have trouble in this life, but they could rejoice knowing that they would be rewarded in the next, that their names were written in heaven. One of my favorite verses in all the scriptures, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. When life gets hard, God wants you to remember him and remember his word, that God has not and God will not forget about you. So those who continue to honor the Lord, if you continue to honor the Lord when many around you have fallen away, you can have confidence that your name is written in heaven. Amen? So in Malachi 3.17, he says this, on the day when I act. He's indicating that, that, that there may be faithful service that goes on for years. Maybe you feel that way right now, that you've been serving the Lord for years and there has been no apparent reward. But he wants you to know that he is taking note this morning. And there is coming a day when God will act on your behalf. One reason that the Israelites had grown careless in their obedience um, and living um, the way that God had commanded them was that they thought the Lord did not see them, that the Lord did not care, and that the Lord had forgotten about them. And because of this, they lived in sin. 
And if we're not careful, we are absolutely tempted to do the same exact thing when we think God doesn't care or God doesn't remember us. We are also tempted to act out in sin. But we must remember that God tells us that he will not forget about you and there is a record of our earthly deeds in heaven. And no, God will not put out uh, an ofrenda to honor your memory. But he will write about you in his book. So God will, hear me now, God will remember you. But the real question here is, how will he remember you? How will God remember you? The reality is that we will all stand before the Lord one day. Every person in here, you, me, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our parents, our aunts, our uncles, we will all stand before the Lord. And look at what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, or the land of the living, to use the imagery from Coco, whether good or bad. So we will all be before the Lord, and it says he will give us what we deserve based on the things that we have done on earth, the good and the bad. Look at what the book of Revelation tells us. John uh, recorded this for us, and it says, Then I saw a great white throne in him who is seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them, and I saw the dead. Great and small standing before the throne. Great and small. It does not matter how great you think you are in this life. It does not matter how much money you have. It does not matter how popular you are. It does not matter how successful you are. It does not matter how how big your office is. It does not matter how big your stage is. It doesn't matter how small you think you are or insignificant or how little influence you have. It says great and small standing before the throne and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged, you will be judged, by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into a lake of fire. This is the second death, not fading away into ethereal dust. This is the second death. Death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book, they were thrown into the lake of fire. So Coco is correct in asserting upon death, that is not the end, right? But you don't just fade away. It isn't just a party. Your body doesn't just rot in the ground. You aren't reincarnated. Death is not the end of the story. The Bible warns us, this is a warning in case you didn't know, that you are going to stand before the Lord and he is going to open up his book and John tells us in Revelation that he's going to judge the dead based on what they have done in this life, each one of them according to what they had done. And if anyone's name is not written in the book for services rendered to the king, it says they will be thrown into the lake of fire and suffer the second death. So we do not cease to exist, but Jesus will look at us and we will either be told one of two things. All right, are you with me? This is the most important thing you are going to hear today. So you are going to stand before the Lord one day, each one of you in here. There are no exceptions. And he's going to tell you one of these things. 
Not both, one of them. Biblically, we know when you stand before Jesus at the end of your life, you will hear one of these things. Matthew 25, come. You who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Ooh, come on, somebody. That's what I want to hear. Or, Jesus will look at you and he will say this. Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So you will be remembered by God, but the question is, is how is he going to remember you when you stand before him? And I'm not telling you this to judge you. I'm not telling you this to condemn you. I'm telling you this because I love you so desperately and Jesus loves you so much. He does not want to look at you and say that. He desires that all men should come to know him. But scripture tells us that when we stand before the Lord, there are only two options for us. Only two options. Eternal life with Jesus in heaven or the alternative, eternal punishment with Satan in hell. You thought you were coming to a cute sermon about cocoa and here I'm telling you, you're about to, you might spend eternity alongside Satan getting tortured, right? But that's the reality of it, right? That's the reality of it. I don't want to downplay that here. I think we can watch movies like this and we give ourselves a false sense of security that what's waiting for us on the other side of life will just become like a caravetta or like a sugar skull, right? Colored, face paint, and it's fun and magical, right? And we deceive ourselves that it doesn't matter what happens in this life. We get a a do-over in the next. But that is absolutely not the case for us. It's not just a party with all of your relatives. I don't mean to be crass here. Some of you will be with relatives and it will not be a party. And you will not want to be there. And so perhaps the question in your mind right now, who who gets in? Who gets into heaven? And who goes to hell? Well, let me roll my sleeves up for this one. Do you want the good news or the bad news first? I heard good news, so let's go with the bad news first. (laughs) I prepared the bad news first. I'm sorry, it's already prepared beforehand. So let's start with hell. Who goes here and why? Well, John tells us again in Revelations. It's a lovely story. He says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, um, the detestable, those who do detestable things for murderers, uh, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So as I read this list, I absolutely fall into some of these categories. Even now. So no, I've never murdered anybody. But I've absolutely been a coward. I've, I've, there have been points in my life where I've had zero faith. I have done some detestable things in my life. I have been immoral in a number of ways in my life. I practice idolatry probably every day. Idolatry, no, I don't have a statue that I fall down and worship, but there are so many things in my life that I oftentimes find myself putting ahead of Jesus, right? Constantly. 
There's all these things in my life that oftentimes I'm putting ahead of Christ. I have absolutely lied before. So that's the bad news. I'm sure as you read that, you, I'm, I'm positive at least one of those things where just sin exists within your heart. All of us are guilty of this. For the wages of sin is death. Because of that sin that exists in us, because of the hate in our hearts, because of the evil thoughts that we get, because of the selfishness that exists within us, because of the anger in our hearts for our brothers and our sisters, Jesus says, these are Jesus' words, he says this, whoever says you fool will be liable to hell. Who in here has ever yelled at someone and cussed at them in anger and called them a name? Worse than fool, right? All of us have, right? And he says the punishment for this, he says the punishment for doing this is is hell. And the Bible says we are going to be judged by our deeds in this life. And if that's the case, because of sin, things aren't looking too good for us right now, right? We're all doomed. We're doomed to the second death. Jesus says you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. At this point, the natural response to this is, but I can't be perfect. I absolutely can't do it no matter how hard I try, which is absolutely true. But Jesus still tells us, he summarizes the law of God in two sentences. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is certainly an admirable goal, right? Have any of us ever done that? That everything we do and say is rooted in our love for God and our love for neighbor, right? Even in our best efforts, there's no possible way that we could ever be perfect because of the sin that exists in us. The prophet Isaiah says our best deeds in comparison to the perfection and the goodness of God, he said, is like a polluted garment, Our righteousness is simply not good enough and will never be good enough no matter how hard we try. And because of this, from birth, we are all headed to the land of the dead to face the second death. (sighs) All right, got the bad news out of the way. So what's the good news, right? Now that I told you, you're all going to hell, right? What's the good news? Come on, I heard someone say Jesus. Yeah, I think a little kid said Jesus. They know, they know the answer. 2 Corinthians 5.21, let's read this. This is the best news of your entire life, all right? I know some of you got a promotion recently. This is better. For our sake, for our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to read that one more time. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is absolutely the best news ever. Because guess what? You do not get what you deserve. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to tell you what happens. Christ's righteousness, his perfection is imputed to you. It is literally put upon you because of your faith. But our sin is also then imputed to Christ. 
So he takes our sin and then gives us himself, his righteousness, his perfection. That is how Christ has paid our debt that we owe to God. He had no sin in himself. He was perfect. But our sin was put upon him on the cross. So as he suffers on the cross, he is paying the just penalty for our sin. The sins that that, that we have accrued throughout our lifetimes were paid on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the wages of sin is death and Christ was sufficient. That is why Paul says now, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith because of the one who who gave himself for me and he loved me. By having the righteousness of, of Christ imputed or attributed to us, we can now be seen as sinless. As sinless as Jesus, we are not righteous in ourselves. Rather, we possess Christ's righteousness applied to our account. It is not our perfection, but Christ's perfection now that God sees when he looks upon us and what he will see when we stand before the throne of heaven and earth. Amen. This is good news for some of us. Good news for all of us if we trust and repent of our sins, if we trust in Jesus. We are not holy. We are not blameless, right? Don't think I got to just dig a little bit deeper, right? That's what our culture, just dig deeper, just work harder. You cannot, let me tell you that, you cannot be good enough. You are not good enough. You are not holy, you are not blameless, and you are not righteous. But Jesus makes us what we are not. And that is the best news that you could ever hear. Jesus makes us what we are not, righteous, holy, and blameless. So now when we stand before Jesus, when we stand before him after our death and facing our sentencing, if in this life we repented of our sins and we trusted in Jesus, our name is then written in the book of remembrance and we are counted as righteous. And then Jesus will look at us and say, come on into the inheritance that was prepared for you before the creation of the world. Come on in. We will not be judged and sentenced to hell because of our sins. But because of the cross of Jesus, our sin has already been paid. The debt was paid. Come on, somebody. And we will be counted as righteous as Jesus because of Jesus. Amen? And so originally I had three points that were just coming in right now. I'm going to spare you that so we're not in here for like 50 minutes. So I made a, a halftime, halftime decision between services and cut some out. But I want to close with, with one more clip. And I want us to remember as we're, we're watching this clip. And I want you to picture, this is in the clip, it's, it's uh, the dad. And he's singing to his, his kid. He's singing to his kid whom he loves so dearly. And so I want us to think this, no, not a perfect picture. But I want us to think this is, this is what God Sees when he looks at us, he wants us to remember him. He wants us to to remember him because he's going to remember us in the next life. And so what we need to do is remember him in this. Remember his goodness. Remember his grace. What is his grace? Well, his grace is, is what was given to us when we didn't deserve it. And I know before Jesus, my soul was rotten and dirty and my life was full of sin my heart was evil and I did evil things and then in the mess in the midst of that God met me there and he changed my heart and he changed my life and so I want to honor him in this and I want to remember him and that's what I want from you I want you to remember the goodness and the grace and the love of God that we don't get what we deserve 
because Jesus made us what we are not. 